Hello, everybody, and welcome back. This is episode seven of Do I Have Your Attention? First off, as always, I'd like to thank anybody who's sticking around, listening to me, um, who enjoys the episodes. If you have any questions, definitely feel free to reach out. On this episode, I had a great conversation with Scott Seeley. I'll let him describe his business and what he does, but uh, we had a Probably the most in-depth conversation about the city of Phoenix and government as a whole in terms of community involvement, organizations, companies, corporations, things of that nature. Ironically, this was the interview that had the most construction going on in the city. Since we talk so heavily about construction and growth going on in the city. But in any case, after deliberation of me working on it for a couple of weeks, my friend working on it a couple of weeks, we got to silence a lot of that noise and got a better, cleaner product. So I'll hopefully the background noise doesn't deter from the general conversation that much. I still think you guys will really enjoy it. I enjoyed listening to it a couple times as I was editing it again before I released it today. But as always, take a listen, enjoy it, and let me know what you think. Thank you. Good morning, Scott. How yes. you doing? Hello, Avery. Good. All right. So um, I appreciate you taking the time on this good January day. Right. Um, we're outside uh, downtown Phoenix. I would like to start the show off by if you would please introduce yourself and what you do. Yes. Uh, so I'm Scott Seeley. I'm the managing partner of a, a consulting company called Trifecta Communications. The reason I'm called Trifecta is that uh, it, my business is kind of the synergy of my government relations background, my communications background, and my charitable or community relations background. And my business is basically tying all those things together. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the uh, IT people talk about software as a service. Yeah. Um, I kind of I talk about business relationships as a service. It's helping companies or nonprofit organizations or investors um, develop relationships that will foster their business or advance their charitable mission um, by introducing them to people who have a similar interest or a common mission. Okay. Awesome. So um, I heard you say it's a combination of all your skills. How did you end up? bringing them all together, right? Was it that you worked for a little while and you decided I'm going to go on my own? Did you see a problem that needed to be solved? Yes. Um, a little of both. Okay. I mean, to start <laughs> with, I, uh, I I had some great opportunities uh, for people here in Arizona or around the country. I, I sort of started out uh, really working for John McCain, Senator McCain, years ago. Um, got exposure not only to the political world there, but because of my job with him, I was in, in media relations, so uh, I was his press secretary. So it was the, immediately the confluence of our communications um, uh, requirements there as press secretary and the political stuff that we were involved in. Um, as, as time went on, got to know a lot of business leaders in Arizona that worked with him. Um, got to be part of some interesting meetings, and I don't get off track on that, but, <laughs> but in the history of Arizona, uh, yeah. I remember sitting down once with Senator McCain and the governor of Arizona and the uh, commissioner of Major League Baseball to talk about how to build out the spring training Cactus League that has become now a huge, huge economic thing. engine yeah. in the state. <laughs> At the time, 
that meeting occurred, there was some concern that teams were going to start spreading out, splitting off, and leaving Arizona. And uh, so, but but the bottom line was, I, I got to sit there at the feet of some of the state's leaders. I, I later worked for the other senator, John Kyle. Mm-hmm. Um, also worked for the governor of Arizona for a while, and got to meet a lot of business leaders. What I came to see in those encounters is that. You know, although we were government per se, we were trying to solve the public's problems through public policy and, and running state agencies and stuff. Yep. That communication was a critical part of any of that. Didn't matter what we were doing, if we weren't communicating it well or if people didn't know about it, it really didn't matter. Yeah. And that all of the things we were doing were inextricably tied up with the business community. I mean, uh, one of the things when I worked in the governor's office was at a point when California was having their energy crisis. Well, the state really didn't have any tools to respond to that, the state of Arizona. Yeah. We had to go talk to the power companies, APS and SRP in Arizona, about what they were doing and what the issues were and how we could support them in yeah. making sure that the lights could come on, or in that case, in the summertime, that the yeah, air conditioning AC came would come on. on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it all was an integration of, of our ability to communicate what we were doing, governmentally or from the business community, and tying that together. Now, the final piece that I have now come into um, was a result of a, of a position. So I, I left the government, went into the private sector, mm-hmm. and I actually ran the government relations, the communications, and the charitable giving portion of a, for a, a big company based in Arizona. What that showed me was that it's, it's very important, and, and every company of size that I know of has got a, a charitable giving program. Some of them are really significant, others are just kind of pro forma. But um, in each case, it, it, well, let me say that. There's two ways of doing it. One is you just write the check and you give the check over to somebody. And that's in a way they go. Yeah. The other is the integrated model, where not only you, you identify what does the community need, what are the areas like in for an electricity company, for example, they may know that there are problems um, with low-income families that have trouble meeting their, you know, paying their bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they have housing issues that relate to their to their um, utility bill problems and so forth. So who is the, the agency or the charity out there in the community that can help those people? And mm-hmm. you contribute to an, an, a charitable organization, a community organization, that's helping meet your business objective, which is you want people to be able to pay their power bills and keep their power on, but you're also, that's not your business, yeah. you know? So who do you work with in the charitable community and partner with to solve that problem? With me, it was a lot more in the military and veteran space. The company I worked for provided health care to the military. And so we got engaged with a lot of different charitable organizations around the country that were helping address, like, suicide prevention, for okay. example. Um, we weren't necessarily experts in that field, but we knew people who were. Yeah. So we made charitable contributions to their work because it helped ours. I mean, yeah. We were trying to advance the health and wellness of our veterans and service members. Um, same thing. We, uh, with, with the military program, um, there are uh, child health issues come into play. There were some 
children's behavioral health issues that came up as our troops were deploying and there were some of the issues that we all know about in, in families. Yeah. So we partnered with organizations that would help strengthen the family, the military family, that would help support military children that did research yeah. to find out what are some of the issues that are impacting them. That was not our business's real core mission, yeah. but it supported the work we were trying to do. And when we, when we supported those organizations and worked with them on a charitable basis, it, it also reflected well on us and, and what we were trying to do. Yeah. So um, that's, that's how I arrived here, which is a lot of people are just kind of dabble in this, but they don't really have a strategic perspective around their place in the community, their contributions in the community, and how it can both support their business. And then finally, uh, we find this more and more, especially with millennials, you know, they want to be, they want to know that their work is doing something productive in the community. Yeah. So how do you communicate back to your employees how you are supporting the surrounding community? And whether it's a scholarship program or whatever, the other thing that, that I try to encourage companies to do is go find the beneficiaries of your charitable giving and bring them in and have them tell your employees why it matters. Yeah, I, I've had the chance to be part of some very emotional encounters over time where employees that work hard every day with military health care or protecting the environment or whatever they do yeah. hear from members of the public that, that benefited from something that their company supported right along with that mission. And uh, I, in fact, one specific example, we had we had some caseworkers at this the healthcare company I worked with that would support families when they when they lost someone or someone was going through a very serious health issue. Yeah, we we once sponsored a charitable event, invited some of our employees to come. One of our employees met the mother of a child that had unfortunately died of cancer, but that mother credited our caseworker with having help their family survive that yeah. terrible situation. And it was so wonderful to, to have our staff feedback how, how meaningful it was for them to hear from the people that they served every day and what a difference it made in their lives. Well, part of you, you can you can create those opportunities. You can develop a strategy where your company support in the community can feed back to your employees and your mission and tie it all together. And that's what, as Trifecta, I try to do in advising either nonprofit organizations okay. or companies how to tie that together. Okay. So as we, as we talk about um, the community as a whole, though, uh, why Phoenix? Why did you choose to stay in Phoenix? What, um, what uh, surprises you? What gets you excited about it? What has driven you to stay here? Yeah, because um, it seems like your skills are applicable nationwide, globally, actually. <laughs> right. No, there is there's there's kind of a, a formula okay. or a, a process that you can go through in this relationship building thing. That you're right, it can happen anywhere. But part of part of what um, has helped me be successful is just having a lot of relationships, knowing a lot of people over an extended period of time. Okay. As I mentioned, I I started out essentially my connection with Arizona goes back to working for Senator McCain in Washington D.C. Yeah. Um, about that time, my wife and I said, you know, we really didn't like Washington, D.C. We wanted to, we were both originally from the West. And so where do we want to go? Um, we, we've made lists of, of places <laughs> in the West that we both would like to go and looked at the, where they 
aligned. Yes, where they were in common. And uh, Phoenix was one of those places. Obviously, I was working for Senator McCain, so it made it a bit of an easier transition to come to Arizona. So um, our second daughter was on the way at that point, and we, um, so we moved moved here. Um, one of the things that I knew, however, from having had some experience around the country is that Phoenix is, has been for a generation plus such a fast-growing place. I mean, even in during the economic downturn, there still are people coming to Arizona. People yeah. are moving into the state, and during better economic times, like the last couple of years, they're coming in, you know, 100 new people a day are coming to Arizona, and 50-some a day moving into Phoenix from places where they find it a lot harder to find a job, uh, it's a lot more difficult to live, um, they don't have the kind of opportunities that you have here because of, of our growth on one hand, and the other is um, it's just a great place. As you mentioned, you know, it's a January day, we're sitting out alongside the street at a cafe, <laughs> and it's 60 degrees, you yeah. know, or close to it. Um, and and I know, you know what it's like in Minnesota and Newark, New Jersey, <laughs> and Seattle, Washington, and it's not, know, it's not it's not as much fun. Now summer's a different thing, but you know that I, I have the good fortune. I, a lot of people do. You know, you can go somewhere else uh, to get a little respite. Yeah, and. As we mentioned before, we got air conditioning. We got AC, yep. Right. We got cars. Yeah. <laughs> you can make it. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned uh, the change in the economy, right? Um, along with your profession, I would imagine that um, things would get better as the economy got worse because they seek um, better information. They seek better ideas. How, how do you notice um, businesses' reaction as either there's an economic correction or there's a mid-sized um, recession, like any of those things change? Do you feel like companies um, make a big difference in reaching out to people? Do they change their strategy? Does that affect your work at all? Um, well, it definitely, especially in, when it comes to the charitable side, yeah. you often will see, um, and, and most of the companies I work with, the leaders that I know around town, um, uh, are committed to contributing, you know, charitably to being part of, of programs that are helping, whether it's in education or healthcare or other things. It's just part of what they do. But the reality is that when it gets, you know, times are tougher, it's a little harder to do that. So you definitely see um, the, the charitable organizations I work with, part of it is to kind of develop a financial strategy or have a strategy that acknowledges there are uptimes and there are downtimes. Yeah. And um, I've been on the board of a number of, especially military or veteran um, charitable organizations, and, and especially when, when the war started and in, you know, 03, 04, there were a lot of companies that were writing big checks to support um, the troops and veterans. Many of those organizations got you know, quarter million dollar up to even million dollar donations sometimes because they were doing good work and those companies wanted to do, or those foundations wanted to support the military. Everybody knew that wasn't going to last forever. Yeah. You know, other, other issues come up in the community. People will direct their contributions in other places, less focus on the fact we still have troops overseas and so on. Yeah. And so, so a lot of the, the strategic discussion we had with, with those organizations was how do we... Um, 
you know, how do we identify either one-time spending or we we kind of endow programs so that we put money aside so that it, it continues to be funded even when you hit hard times because that, that definitely occurs. But the other thing to, to your question is um, one of the things that's, that's interesting about Phoenix, even though it's the fifth largest city in the country, yeah. is that it's still in, in the business community, especially in central you know, Maricopa County, is still a pretty small or feels like a pretty small uh, community. Yeah, uh, it's possible to, to really, and, and I think part of that is driven by some real collaboration and, and teamwork among the economic development chambers of commerce around the valley, uh-huh. where uh, they they work together well and they help connect other businesses with people they ought to they ought to know and they ought to work with. So um, we were chatting a little bit about your business, you yeah. know, in, in real estate <laughs> and so forth. So. Um, the, the tax bill of a couple of years ago included a, a provision to create what they call opportunity zones. I don't know if you're acquainted with it. Opportunity yeah. zones that are in areas that have not, have kind of missed out on development, mm-hmm. and it's to, to spur development. There's significant tax benefits to investing. I have a client that, that does a lot of work in opportunity zones. They have an opportunity fund, and um, one of the things that they're doing is, is sitting down and talking with charitable organizations that might have services. So you're going into areas of town that are, you know, lower end of the economic ladder. You're yeah. going to perhaps displace some people as you build projects and, and put in apartment buildings or build office buildings and so forth. But um, at least the people that I work with want to also include affordable housing in it. They want to talk with... Um, low-income um, healthcare clinics, community community health centers, mm-hmm. about being able to include them in some of these projects. Well, that involves knowing those people. Yeah. In a lot of places, developers, the big developers in a DC or a Chicago or a Seattle, they're yeah. not that acquainted in a positive way with community organizations that are meeting needs. In Phoenix, they are. You know? um, Sharon Harper. Is, is the developer behind uh, Park Central, right in the center of Phoenix. They're redeveloping one of the first malls that, here in Arizona. Well, yeah. Sharon's also involved with many of the most uh, significant charitable activities, with education funding and healthcare funding and, and other things. And she knows and works with those people on a regular basis. So the opportunity to connect those you know, those community need organizations with business leaders is really, to me at least, seems a lot simpler in Phoenix because we just don't have all the different layers of, of historically built up, you know, uh, communities that don't talk to, talk each, to other, each other or you've got to go through so-and-so. And, and some of it is political, you know, it borders on corruption. Yeah. Maybe, but, you know, in Chicago, you got to go talk to the ward boss or you got to go talk to the city councilman or you're not going to get your permits approved and all that stuff. Yeah. That doesn't happen in Phoenix. You know, if you, if you want to build a good project and your neighbors are, are grateful to see you get in, you can walk into City Hall and, you know, talk to the city council member and get people that want to help you accomplish that, not tell you how many hoops you have to go through <laughs> that makes sense so that gets me to my next question which is around what you originally said around communication right so being in 
politics, dealing with community organizations. I'm sure you run into people who either have opposing views or are stuck in there. Um, essentially their views and one way to solve that right is the win-win situation where you find a way to where your benefit is my benefit and we connect what what would be other ways or other methods that um that you're used to kind of build that gap for either people who are other on the other side of the fence but are extremely important to the bigger picture of either like Phoenix, Arizona, the conversation in general, right? Because as much as we like to polarize things, right, we can't just annex half the country or half the state. Right. So the question is, how do you, how might you carry that to other places? Yeah, that, and then even even just as you do in your normal day to day business, because I'm yeah. sure that's something you encounter a lot, right? Dealing with either businesses in in the state of phoenix or out of the state of phoenix right yeah. like what are some of the techniques well part of from a communications perspective the thing yeah. that really occurs to me and i actually I, I had a discussion with a client this morning and the the issues that we're talking about are lengthy we we exchanged emails that are kind of lengthy and all the rest of it yeah but in our discussion we said we got to get this down to three points this needs to be simple and we got to say, you know, here's the pros, here's the cons, and here's what we recommend. Or you got to say, here's three different paths you could choose, and you need to pick one of those three. But, you know, going into all the detail um, is only going to confuse the issue, and we've got to resolve it from a communications perspective to really simplify it. And okay. I think the same thing has to happen in, in a lot of these. And I, I've been through some of these. I Years ago, I served on the what they call a village planning committee, here for the city of Phoenix. Yeah. And that involved people who wanted to build new projects or they wanted to remodel or change something coming to the village planning, which was made of local community members. It was in my neighborhood. And we would have to approve or reject it. Um, in, in a lot of cases, uh, the people who came to us first and explained what they were trying to do and how they were going to address some of the issues and everything else, then when it came time for a vote on it, they, they, were, they were golden. The ones that usually either got rejected or ran into a lot of resistance were the ones that just showed up like a, here's here's where it is, you know, it's legal, okay, they've, they've checked all the boxes on the city procedures and the zoning requirements and all that, mm-hmm. but it's like, well, wait a minute, we don't know anything about that, you know, it, yeah. so I would say part of it just, just you know, upfront communications before making a change. Okay. Second is recognizing that change, people people generally are resistant to change unless they've got a compelling reason why they want to do it. And so usually the, you know, we're going to create jobs here. Um, in addition to building X facility, we're also going to add a park to the facility. Um, I, I'm involved in a project over in, um, in downtown Mesa. And yeah. part of it is, is, is first having a general understanding that the way downtown Mesa is now is not the way people would like it to be. To be, yeah. Okay? They want to they improve it. They, they've started. They've got a nice new arts center and some other things. But they need to have businesses that are providing, you know, restaurants and uh, coffee shops and uh, um, other amenities that, that draw people down there that are going to spend some money in downtown Mesa but also um, create some positive activity in the area. And um, they haven't had that for a number of years. Yeah. So occasionally when there's been some, some pushback, well, developers are coming in to take this over. 
on behalf of the developers, one of the companies that I work for, yeah. one of the things that, that they've made a real effort to communicate to people is they actually want, their, their objective is to return the look of downtown Mesa to its historical, its, and, and this is this is getting into a, the weeds here on this yeah. thing, but over the years, to be more you know, commercially viable or to keep up with the times or modern or whatever, yeah. they, have, they have built um, facades over the original historical downtown buildings in Mesa. But the original buildings of about a century ago are still there. They've just been covered over. In some cases, they've been sheetrocked over and so forth to make them smooth and more, quote, modern looking. Mm -hmm. Well, part of what the company, Caliber, that I represent wants to do is restore some of that historical look to it. And so part of our effort is, is to let people know up front, yeah, we want to build something, we want to bring these businesses to town and so forth. But the other thing is we want, at the end of the day, not to have a bunch of branding with logos and stuff like that. We want the, the storefronts of downtown Mesa to look like they used to. They used to, yeah. And have a walkable, <laughs> uh, you know, visually pleasing space down there that people are comfortable in fact, light rail comes right down to Central Center and uh, and University there in or, uh, Main Street, Three. Main and mm -hmm. Main and Center in uh, Mesa, and um, you can ride light rail down there and walk around and go to the Arts Center and go to dinner and get the ride home and all that stuff. That today is not that pleasing an experience, but with a little vision, yeah. in a couple of years it could be. Okay. Now that makes sense, um, and to to the vision point, right? Especially being in several communications with different companies, what do you see Phoenix looking like in the future? Maybe five, ten, fifteen years from now. Yeah. Well, one of the interesting things that that I I see historically, Phoenix development has been, and and the success of it, and in some cases the speed of it, has been because it is such a new city. But other than the just the basic urban core, even places you know Chandler, Peoria, Buckeye, um, North Scottsdale, there was nothing there, and so the ability is not as I mentioned, you know, a Chicago, a Seattle, a New York, or something where you've got to tear something down in order to build something up. You've yeah. got to work around existing buildings and all the rest. Phoenix has been able to build up and build out really well because it's just just empty ground yeah <laughs> i was down in chandler um, a couple months ago meeting with their city council and in their city council chambers you can look out at a couple blocks removed from city hall in the middle of chandler and it's it's bare ground that they would love to develop and love to get business going there to bring people to downtown more people to downtown, downtown chandler. Chandler. okay but, but to have to have empty undeveloped land in the core of of a city, especially ones fast growing as a as a Peoria or a, a Chandler or a Gilbert or something like that. Yeah, you just don't have that in other places around the country. So that's been part of the advantage. But to your question about what is it going to look like in the near near future, one of the things we see now, I see, is a lot of infill. So okay. and this is in and I live in North Central Phoenix. In our neighborhood now. They have, there have been 
what they call ranchettes, these maybe a couple acres of land that had one house on them before that are being taken down and they're building maybe six, eight, ten homes in there. Um, you, you see that happening in a number of places. In the area we're in here in downtown Phoenix, you just look around and there, in fact, there's one across the street, you know, the, the cranes <laughs> are there on, yep. <laughs> uh, building a, you know, uh, what is that, 10, 12-story building, which is probably going to be an apartment or condo complex. So yep. more density, more building or rebuilding in some of the downtown areas of especially Phoenix. Um, if we go, you know, five or six blocks south of here now, they, they're they tearing down what were some older businesses and restaurants in kind of one story and building a multi-level office condo complex in there yeah. with a with a new uh, downtown grocery store, which Phoenix has not had since Phoenix had 50,000 people, you know? Yeah. So um, I think we're going to see more construction, uh, more development okay. in kind of the central core of both Phoenix and and also in Tempe where so many of the jobs now, I mean, mm -hmm. there are hundreds of thousands of jobs that are going in along the Tempe Town Lake with First Solar and Salt River Project and now um, uh, State Farm has come in there with tens of thousands of people working in those buildings and they all want to go get something to eat yeah. or go to the show that evening after work or go to a game yep. on the university campus or whatever. And it's it's all there within range of what are now tens of thousands of, of work spaces in buildings that didn't exist okay. five, six, seven years ago. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then you're, you're kind of mentioning it in terms of like with the Tempe Town Lake piece. But with the density, with the reconstruction, with the development, uh, where would the people come from? Do you do you foresee new new businesses, right? Meaning like entrepreneurship, small businesses, mid-sized businesses being built and started here? Do you see big giants like Amazon, Google coming here and starting either um, their second headquarters or third headquarters or um, plants? Or what? what's kind of you think your vision or you hear... Yeah. In conversation. Well, and part of this, I think, Avery, you is your your own kind of hypothesis, hypothesis for Phoenix, yeah. which is um, small business is driving. There, there are a number of large. I mean, I mentioned you know State Farm is putting in fifty thousand buildings to house fifty thousand employees. Supposedly, yeah. um, Wells Fargo has got a facility down in in the Southeast Valley that. Um, they, they've got 20,000 people there already. They're going to build another tower for another 20,000 people there. So there are a few of those large corporate um, Intel, you know, continue. They're building a big fab plant, which is going to be, I don't know how many employees around that. Yeah. But the reality is that those large entities um, all require, as I mentioned, the services that are around them. You know, yeah. the people, everybody in there needs to go to a dry cleaner somewhere around town, usually closer rather than further, further away. Yep. <laughs> um, they all need to go, you know, grab something for lunch or grab dinner or Get a haircut. hang out. <laughs> yes. All of those things that um, support that, mm -hmm. you know, for each. And, and those are all small businesses by the dozens, if not the hundreds, that are popping up. Um, and then I would, from from my own perspective, as, as I mentioned, you know, trifecta, 
um, from a services perspective. I, what I see are a lot of those big companies coming in yeah. that um, their, their first priority is we got to get this thing up and running. We got to hire the employees that we need, and we got to get our business in and, and underway. But they also want to be part of the community and do those other things. Um, and, and one of the best ways to do that, from my perspective, is you need to meet local leaders. You need to meet the mayor and the city council and, mm-hmm. and meet their economic development people, all of whom are trying to help you be successful. And that's the thing that you know people like, like I do. Um, and, and the other services they need. Um, I've got a friend who runs a, a small recruiting company. Well, she's connected now with some of these larger financial firms and is out looking for hundreds of employees. Well, she's a small business. She's got five employees, and her business is growing now. Other businesses like that are growing just to feed the employee needs of of either the big ones or the small ones. I mean, some of the businesses she serves have 10, 12, 15 employees, too. Yeah. So um, it's the whole mix, but... For every big, big corporate operation here, I think there are at least a hundred, if not more, small businesses that are supporting it. So that's interesting. We you you mentioned a little bit about level setting and when you first come in, right? Kind of making sure you tackle things one by one. Um, how would one go about saying, you know what, I'm coming in as a new co- corporation? Um, should I meet the mayor first? Should I talk with the Chamber of Commerce? Should I, like, how would they make that list and then how would they execute on um, making sure those relationships are strong enough so that when they do start moving, it doesn't seem like it's in a silo, right? It doesn't seem like I'm just making decisions on my own. Nobody, <laughs> right. I don't care about yeah. what people think. Yeah, and I think, um, well, and, and part of it is, is, I would suggest, is how to make it sustainable. Yeah, because we're all everybody's excited. You know, the governor announces that here a few weeks ago, Cognizant was going to add several hundred positions, and and it wasn't just that that there are a few hundred more jobs, but it's yeah. the kind of jobs they are. They're very high level, high tech positions, which tend to also be a draw then for others mm-hmm. who are in the same industry that want to be in the same place where where they are. Um, but, but it's also a corporate entity located somewhere else that decided that this is the best place for them to, to grow. Because, as I mentioned earlier, some of yeah. the, I mean, I may not have mentioned, but I mean, Arizona is a very low regulation, low tax um, location. And so you've got companies, let's even take Apple. Yeah. Apple could put a distribution center with 5,000 employees in Riverside, California, and pay triple the property taxes and their employees are paying 15 to 20 percent more in income taxes to be in california then you could be four hours away in buckeye arizona where you have limited much more limited property taxes you get the same services you might get better services frankly because you can get the attention of the local leadership around your need for fire support or uh, parks or whatever the other city services are, and um, your employees are paying are, are getting much more value out of their paycheck because the income taxes are so much lower here than they are in California. So you're, I think, you know, you were sort of part of your question earlier was where are these people going to come from? Yeah. Um, the, the governor of Arizona always always says, 
The governor of California is the chief economic development officer for Arizona. <laughs> the more, the more yeah. regulation they adopt, the more difficult they make it for business to include, yeah. you know, environmental regulations to meet climate change requirements and so forth. Um, there, there's a lot more climate change impact for all the cars driving on congested roads in California, uh-huh. which they are not here. You know, we've got open... You, you've got to go someplace 10 miles away. It's going to take you 10 minutes on the freeway. In California, it's going to take you an hour and a half. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's a cost. It's an environmental cost. It's a business cost that in Arizona, we, we can kill them over that because we're not impacting the environment in the way that they are, even though they're allegedly more environmentally sensitive. So, yeah. The reality is that's not how it plays out. practices yeah. play out. <laughs> and... Um, the penalties that they put on businesses to pay for, you know, environmental uh, issues um, make it leave less money for for the average worker, okay. which in Arizona, um, that worker gets to put that money in their pocket, and um, and the communities you know, don't don't have all the regulation that that is, you know, you just just the congestion that goes with with some places I think about when you go visit California that yeah. just get worse over the years as they grow in kind of a more landlocked situation than Arizona does. And we're growing a lot faster than they are, yeah. and yet you don't have people, you know, sitting on a freeway for hours. hours. Yeah. Going <laughs> like, and they did years ago, and they still do. And we've got some traffic issues, but we keep building roads to try to accommodate those. And yeah. in California, it seems like they, they either can't keep up with it or or they choose not to. Yeah. No. yeah. And that makes sense. And then um, along with that, though, I, I had a conversation with my friend the other day. How much do you think, like, the additions of regulations, um, the change in tax codes, things like that, would be purposeful change, like you were talking about, where they have environmental things that they have to now pay up, taxes that they have to pay up for issues like that, versus like self-correcting, meaning like we overspent, businesses are leaving, expenses we had built into the forecast are now not there because of either a change in workforce, a change in company, right? And then what would what would companies do or ent- government entities do to fix that, right? To, to stop that, because I could see that being a problem as a state increases, you can find yourself in the same similar situation where now you're like, okay, is that... And then at the core of it, right, is it greed or is it necessity, right? Yeah. No, and that, um, you know, (laughs) to get back to your kind of why Phoenix Mm -hmm. sort of premise here, um, that is is one of the issues that's, you know, that it was a big discussion last year at the legislature here in Arizona. Mm-hmm. It um, it will be again this year. There, there was a significant investment, 20% increase in education funding last year, which was sort of generally recognized as needed to catch up. Yeah. Because during the last economic downturn, they had to cut everything, including education, and needed a, a big infusion of dollars to really catch up with where we needed to be on education. Um, Transportation, I think we've been able to stay ahead of that a little bit um, because that just historically Arizona has learned if you don't have the roads built out and people start backing up on them, it's a lot harder. You're better off building, you know, first a 202 and then a 303 before the people get there than trying to take down houses and move people out of the way and put the roads in where you 
yeah. they need to go. <laughs> so that's there have been some lessons learned there. But, I, again, I think your point is good. The um, question is going to be, and I think the governor especially realizes we are in good economic times. So if we want to avoid getting where we were 10 years ago and having to cut out a whole bunch of important things, we actually need to, to put some money away. Mm-hmm. Now, there's always a tendency by legislatures to spend whatever they've got. Um, some <laughs> yeah. governors have that tendency too. But Governor Ducey here, I think it really has kind of laid down a marker of we we need to have adequate reserves so that we don't we're, we're going to go through pain. Next yeah. economic downturn, there's pain everywhere that always happens. You can't avoid it. But we need to have some reserves to make sure that we we can protect at least the vital things. Because I think people would recognize last time, 10 years ago, yeah. um, that didn't happen. And part of it was it was just such a terribly deep recession that we had never seen before. But the other was the state was, was not prepared to, to survive almost through that kind of a difficulty. And I think the governor wants to make sure that some money gets set, set aside to survive some tough times because they'll come. Maybe next year, maybe the year after, but at some point they will. And uh, and and the other is then to get to the how do you keep kind of the economic engine going? Part of what I believe a lot of the economic development organizations and the chambers have done is re- is really work to try to diversify. Um, but I, I heard a, an interesting report this morning that one of the things that drove job growth the last quarter or so. Was, it was a significant increase in healthcare jobs. Well, that's something that, that is, it's, one, it's a very big need in Arizona because mm-hmm. as we grow so fast, you need, to, you need to have the hospitals and the doctors and the nurses to Pharmacies, keep up that, with yeah. that population. The other piece of it, though, is part of our population growth is people retiring. Mm-hmm. They're snowbirds escaping Minnesota <laughs> or Chicago or Newark, yeah. New Jersey or Colorado. Wherever they, Montana. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And coming here because they, they want to retire here and, and an elderly population has more health issues than a younger population. So there are health care needs and requirements here. So um, that's another aspect of kind of your social capital that you need to build up and that's that happens to be another thing I'm involved in um, as working with the community colleges here to help generate that healthcare workforce okay. to fill those positions. Um, and, and how do you engage your educational institutions in, in, I mean, students go to school and they decide, oh, I want to major in this and I want to major in that. But how can the universities, how can the community colleges, in Arizona, the Maricopa Community College is the largest system in the country. Yeah. So how can that system um, work with the business community to help encourage students to go to the places where the jobs are, you know, and healthcare is obviously going to be a big one. Um, there's advanced manufacturing now is another one, and we, uh, transportation and logistics happens to be big in part because we're right here between Texas and California, yeah. <laughs> but it's cheaper to be here, so if you can build things here and ship them into those places, you're doing so at less cost on the ground. And that's manufacturing is another, it's it's not been an area historically Arizona has done well in, yeah. but I think as, as transportation links get 
built out and people like Amazon are moving stuff all over the world every day. See the AWS trucks? Yes. <laughs> all exactly. around, yep. No, there um, are opportunities there for Arizona to, again, be between big um, population centers but in a low-cost, low-regulation kind of environment that that fosters that kind of, of production. Okay. Yeah. So now I got to ask the classic question. We talked about all the support, right, for the life of an individual in Phoenix, right? But how do you feel technology will play a part, right, in this growth and this change? Because um, in reality, um, it's 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 just tools, right? So technology itself is not going to change the fact that we need new houses, we need new small businesses, we need right salons, hair, right restaurants, all those things, but it might change the outlook of how things look, how people interact with each other, right? Like, what's your personal thought on how that will play a part in the next 5, 10, 15 yeah. years? Well, see, this, is, I think, this is the huge question, um, you know, you see in some, in some circles the possibility that we at least as human beings have become too technologically focused you know that people are spending too much time on their phones they need to get up and look around and and so what you see a lot of the focus i know from from the kind of community development people around phoenix area is how to make make this the greater maricopa area more livable more attractive to people who who are coming you know you mentioned colorado yeah Um, I mean, one of the things about Colorado is that it, it's considered to be the healthiest state. You know, the kind of per capita health status of Coloradans is higher than any other state. Well, Arizona leaders would like to, to move in that direction here, too. Um, one, it lowers your health care costs for the community at large, which is a big piece of every local, state, federal budget. But the second thing is you, you just have a better quality of life for your people if they yeah. can have, you know, it's interesting, while we've been talking, we've had a couple people go jogging by, you yeah. know, <laughs> um, uh, making the, the park system, the Maricopa community, uh, not the Maricopa County supervisors have, have emphasized a, a park system that actually completely rings the, the greater Phoenix area so that people can get out north, south, east, west to mm-hmm. a park and go hiking or biking or whatever. Um, Tempe Town Lake has a serious, you know, that significant uh, effort to, it's, it's got rowing now, you can do rowing and sailing on the lake, but also they've got a loop around, around there. They have triathlons and, uh, uh, you know, the Phoenix... Uh, uh, half marathon and marathon coming up in a few weeks and so on those those are all things that kind of contribute to encouraging the health and wellness of the community um, because those health care costs are great so um, you know the alternative to that is I don't know if people remember the, the Disney movie WALL-E yeah. you know, where eventually <laughs> everybody ends up having you know some AI device provide everything they need for them all they do is sit and eat and get bigger and bigger and bigger you yeah. know um, and that doesn't work. You've got to trade off that, that uh, you know, being on your phone to do everything with um, getting out and enjoying it. I mean, it, there, there really isn't any purpose to, to a beautiful place like this, you know, a beautiful 60-degree day in January yeah. if you're not outside enjoying it. And uh, so I guess part of mine is, is more hopeful okay. that we, 
we move in that direction? At the same time, the technology question, huge one. Yeah. Um, what you see now in, in especially these buildings going up, including you know, across the street here from us and so on, is yeah. more technology in them. They're more technology capable. And, and even not just buildings, but also areas. So the Tempe Town Lake area we talked about. This area just you know south uh, of us, a few blocks, is Arizona State has now created kind of a, a community with not just the university and its students, but also the businesses that are around it. And uh, um, they're bringing more more into this area. And, and the technology or technological connections between them is part of what they're building into it. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll see, you know, how soon 5G kind of overtakes everything. I think it'll be longer than people expect, people expect but yeah. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be soon. And um, um, But they are kind of anticipating and wiring communities for that. I think we're, we're very fortunate to have Intel be a very integrated part of kind of the community conversation. They're very charitably involved. They're very involved in the public policy here because they kind of know where things are headed. Headed, yeah, and that makes sense. <laughs> our, the Arizona Tech Council uh, seems to be, you know, on top of all that uh, as well. So, okay. Yeah. Now switching more to a personal note, right? If somebody was to shadow you, uh, follow you for a day, what would be the takeaways you'd want them um, to walk away with? What are some of the things that you want to make sure people um, resonate with? terms of your business, how you act, your communication, your partnerships, all of it. Yeah. Well, the biggest thing is, is for me, it's it's all about connectivity. It's all about networking. It's yeah. it's being in touch. It, ironically, this the guy that just walked by, you yeah. know, and said hi. Um, that's it's it's that kind of a my day is like that. I mean, I I spend it out meeting with people in different locations. I very seldom spend more than an hour or two at, at my desk or working anything because it's it's getting out to where projects are being done or meetings are being held and getting people getting meetings lined up between CEOs of companies and the heads of charitable organizations or um, potential investors who want to be involved in the community but they also want to make money and, and who can they talk to about about doing this so it's 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 being in you know, in, in uh, uh, surprise, yeah. Arizona in the morning, meeting with a <laughs> banker down the road from, from Luke Air Force Base, yeah. supporting the military, to, um, you know, midday lunch with the Phoenix Chamber to talk about um, healthcare employment issues and getting connected with community colleges. And in the afternoon, like today, I'm going to meet with another foundation I work with that is serving veterans nationally. Yeah. Um, National Veteran Veteran Tickets Foundation that's based here in Tempe. Um, yeah. But just a lot of, of moving around between people that are, I believe, making a difference in the community. Some of them um, primarily to turn a profit and build things and so on. Others primarily charitable and trying to meet needs or serve a population, whether it's you know, for health care, education, or for me, it's largely uh, military veteran uh, services. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Makes Good. Sense. I'm glad. Glad it makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, as we kind of wind down, I would, uh, I'm interested to see if you have any, um, any takeaways you want the people to know about you, about your business, 
um, practices, anything like that. Um, this could be a spotlight hour, sure, yeah. <laughs> right? Things like yeah. that. Well, I think the biggest thing, and we got into this a little bit earlier talking yeah. about um, these big companies that are coming to town and so forth, whether big or small, um, one of the things I, I like to be available for, I, mean, I like to get paid as a consultant um, mm-hmm. to do this too, but really um, helping helping businesses or organizations, some of them could be nonprofits, to get integrated in the community, to get introduced to the people that they really need to know that, from my perspective, I, I describe this often, you know, it's, it's like they're on the same track going in the same direction, but they aren't, aren't together. Yeah. You know, <laughs> how, how to connect a... You know, a nonprofit organization over here and a for-profit over here that wants to meet a need, well, get them to the right group so they they can be working alongside somebody that's that's meeting that need in the community. Um, business-wise, the same thing. Um, we talked early on, you know, about um, businesses that want to be in a downtown core or they want to be in an area where it's there's redevelopment going on and so forth. Well getting them connected with the companies that are trying to develop these opportunity zones that are looking for projects. They're really looking for the people that they can invest in and, and how to make those connections. That's, that's the sort of thing that I do. And I, I often tell people, I, if there's somebody that you would like to meet, I don't necessarily know them, but I know somebody who knows them. And the ability to develop that strategy to to, to have a process that works to get to identify who your key relationships would be for your business or your charitable organization and how to to implement that strategy so you are working with the right people and moving in the right direction and that's a trifecta tries to help people get aligned with the relationships that that are important to them awesome awesome well thank you so you much for being on the show this concludes another great episode of do i have your attention i am so grateful to everybody i meet who's willing to do the show step out on limb and talk to me for an hour or so all the people are listening even if it's just a family I appreciate you guys. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you have anybody you'd like to be on the show, feel free to reach out to us on our social media pages. That's D-I-H-Y-A underscore talks. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And as always, thank you. Thank you.